This episode is brought to you by the In Between Podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between. Join us as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. For more information, go to inbetween.org. That's imbetween.org. This episode is part of a new series we're calling History Deep Dives. History Deep Dives is a show where we examine a part of church history and really try to understand it, understand the culture, the setting. There's no sermons on History Deep Dive. It's a whole episode just dedicated to an event or an era in church history. As you can tell from the title, today's episode is about the Salem Witch Trials. And what you're listening to now in this feed is a preview of that episode. And I genuinely find this preview episode fascinating as a, even as a standalone episode but the full version the full story that we're going to be jumping into today is available for our patreon supporters in our new premium patreon feed that we're starting and we're super excited we've been working on this for a while and we finally got this going so in addition to these history deep dive episodes troy why don't you tell us what else comes for patreon supporters yeah so not only will you get the history deep dives uh we will also be doing uh, behind-the-scene episodes where we talk about the show and we engage with you, the Patreon supporters. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in Revive Thoughts. Really interesting, sometimes funny. Yeah. Tons of behind-the-scenes stuff. The way Revive Thoughts is, we set it up in a way that we could run the show, and uh, and it would the whole thing is it feels the same every episode, but we can't really talk to you. So this is our chance to do that. We also have an ad-free feed. So you will no longer yeah. have to listen to advertisements if you send a few uh, $3 in on Patreon as little a month, as $3, yeah. You can get in on the ad-free feed and you'll be free of all the advertisements and you get a signed bookmark. Yeah, customized by us. Me and Joel will a little personalized Joel, message. There you go. Joel and I will sign it for you and just send it off your way and that those are what we're beginning to give you, you know, right. more benefits hopefully in the future and, and maybe most importantly too it it really does help us make this show. It, it adds a lot to the show. We can do things. Right now, Joel and I are sitting behind new microphones that would not be possible without your help. Yeah, so a big thank you to our existing Patreons. And uh, if, you're, if you're on the fence, if you're thinking about it, now's the time to jump on. But without further ado, let's get into what happened at the Salem Witch Trials. And again, if, if you're thinking about clicking away from this episode, uh, just because it's a, you know, a, it's not the full episode, I really strongly suggest listening to what it is here, you know, this first 15 minutes or so, just to get an idea of uh, what kind of content we're talking about here. We had a lot of fun researching and making this episode here, so stick around and give it a listen. When I was in, in college, when I was in Bible school, I remember, this is, this would have been 2011, 2012, and that, sometime in that era, and I remember going down this rabbit hole, reading some journal entries from people that were in Salem during the time of the witch trials. And I'm not sure exactly what, what led me down that road of, of reading these journal entries at night, but I found them really fascinating, and it really sparked my interest as to why the Salem witch trials happened? What, what what instigated that culture in that town in that time? And what I found most interesting was how terrified the villagers were at that time. You have to remember, these are Puritans that have come over from their home to the New World, this, this massive continent. They didn't know how big it was. And there was one thought that was documented in this journal entry by this man that, that really stuck out to me and he was talking about how 
this idea that, you know, it says in the Bible, we have this great commission for believers, and the Puritans are an incredibly devout, biblical, you know, really religious group of people. And so they took the scriptures very seriously. And in the Great Commission, you know, we're commanded to go out into all of the corners of the world and preach the gospel, to have the gospel known to every corner of the world. And and there's also this passage that he quoted it's Matthew 24, 14, and in Matthew 24, 14, it talks about how once the whole world has heard the name of Jesus, it essentially ushers in the end times, right? And so this concept, and I don't know if, it, you know, if you've ever thought about this from their point of view, from the Puritans' point of view in Salem, they're in a new world. They're in, as far as they know, the last corner of the world. You know, this is an exciting time where this whole new continent is discovered, and they're going there to settle down. But there's also a bit of fear that comes with that, right? Because if this is indeed the last corner of the world, and they're thinking of it geographically, right? If this is indeed the last corner of the world, and once they get there and establish the gospel there, in their heads, that that's ushering in the end times. The end of the world is near, right? The second coming of Christ is, is coming near, right? And so if the devil is going to keep his foothold on humanity... That would be the time for the for the adversary, for the enemy of Jesus to to really kick it into high gear and to stop that from happening, right? So this idea of the new world being a spiritual war zone was something that was very, very real to the Puritans. It wasn't like we think of it nowadays. To them, this was life and death, both physically, you know, you have to survive, you have to find food, and so the adversary is, is physically trying to kill you uh, by surviving the harsh winters. You know, most of these colonies are losing at least half of their population in the first few years, but on a spiritual war front too, they think this is life or death. They think the adversary is literally throwing everything that he's got at the Puritans to stop Jesus from being known on, again, what they think geographically is the last corner of the world. And so this is this is kind of the mindset that the Puritans have at this time during the Salem witch trials. And it's this concept that's kind of stuck with me for the past decade or so. And it's something that, you know, I told Troy about back in Bible college, and he found it pretty fascinating too. So we wanted to, to jump in as this being the topic of our first history deep dive episode and really dig into what what happened in Salem. You know, we know a lot of stuff about it kind of pop culturally, right? Especially if you were raised in America. Uh, in 1953, the Crucible play was was written. And if you know anything about the Salem witch trials, it's probably from the Crucible. You know, it was, it was a very successful play. Uh, it had several movies and TV shows written after it. It was, it was a musical at some point. And so that's what most people associate the Salem Witch Trials with. And it was inspired by the Salem Witch Trials, but there's a lot of inconsistencies. There's a lot of historical inaccuracies with the Crucible uh, play and what really happened there in Salem that led to 23 people being executed. You could you could go down any number of rabbit holes. Was it hysteria that gripped the town? Was it literally a spiritual warfare going on? Uh, there's a popular theory that talks about this argot fungus that happens in the crops that can make you hallucinate. And maybe maybe these girls were hallucinating, and that's what caused this hysteria that took over the town. We're going to jump into it all here today on this episode of History Deep Dives. And really, hopefully by the end of it, you'll understand where the Puritans were coming from from what their reaction to it was. I, we know the events of the trials itself, but were people regretful afterwards? What, what happened after those moments? Uh, and we're excited to jump into it. In 1626, 
a group of fishermen. They they leave one part of Massachusetts and they head up to this little area that would eventually be called Salem. Now, this may have been the entire story, the small quiet town uh, with fishermen and it wouldn't have been anything interesting and we wouldn't probably even have the Salem Witch Trial story today. But something happened the year before. In 1625, James I, King of England, decided to start getting rid of his enemies. And, and by 1629, he dissolves Parliament. And this leads to this big English civil war later on. This is a big deal. And the people he saw as his enemies were the reformers, who weren't liking the direction of the Church of England. And look, I'm from America. If you're an American like me, you might already be going, okay, this is too much history, but this is important for this part of the story. And if you follow Revive Thoughts, this is right before Christopher Love and Andrew Gray, so two uh, sermon preachers that we've done, uh, sermons by them, you can go check them out. And that's this is around that era. So when this, the Puritans start getting persecuted in England, they look for places to go outside of England. And the New World is the obvious choice. There's plenty of land over there. You can get away from all the nonsense, all the Roman Catholicism, all the stuff going on in Europe, and you can get out of there. And so a man named John Withrop, he owns this huge fleet, and he's named the governor of Massachusetts. And so he takes about a thousand of them out of England, and they're headed for the New World. On the way there... And you know, we Revive Thoughts love these old sermons. He, he preaches this one sermon, and, and I would love to do an episode on it. I actually already know we're working on one. But he preaches this sermon on the way there. It's a founding document, and it's called A Model of Christian Charity. And basically on the boat, they decided we're going to set up something new. The Puritans were this group of people who, to put it in really easy terms, and if you're a theologian, you're going to go, this isn't deep enough. I hear you. But we're doing this for historical sake. We're going to keep it short. They they believed God punished the evil and rewarded the good. He, of course, showed grace to those whom he showed grace. These people really took the Bible very seriously, and they really wanted to show what a Christian, Bible-believing world could look like. And they wanted to set something up that would be amazing, that the British, looking back, would go, wow, that is something special. And so when they were heading to the new world, their goal was to set that new uh, way of doing life up. Yeah, yeah and, and, you, and it had to be terrifying for them because yes. they know the history of the initial settlers in Massachusetts. This happened 20 years prior to their journey here. And the initial settlers had a real rough time. I mean, over half of the population died in that first year. And here they are going out to land at the edge of the world in the, essentially the same spot those initial settlers did and try this journey for themselves. And so it's scary because you don't have any support. You don't have any hospitals. You don't have any schools. Like you're bringing all of that with you and trying to start a new society from scratch. But this idea of a Christian nation, this idea of a model community that meets their ideas and is what they wanted to be away from this war going on in Europe, that was what gave them hope. And that's what encouraged them uh, to set out on this journey. So now this group arrives at Salem, Massachusetts, the tiny fishing town. And that wasn't exactly where they meant to land. It's actually a bit too small for them. And so they actually spread out across Massachusetts. But the, some of them will eventually go to what becomes Boston. But, but a big group of them stay in Salem. And the governor, John Withrop, he comes out, um, he starts making this his home, and and this is going to be kind of the capital. It won't be the capital, but it's kind of their capital spot, right? And they have to deal with so many things that we take for granted. You know, I was, my American history goes 1492 to 
you know, Columbus sailed Columbus the ocean sailed blue. The ocean blue. You got the conquistadors do some stuff. Sure. The, the pilgrims a little bit before, you know, a little bit before come over. And then it's like radio silence. Oh, 1776, right? We're gonna we're gonna set up America. And that stuff between those two points is just kind of look. They're settling America. Nothing really interesting right. happens. That's a long there. time though. That's a, a couple huge, hundred years. Yeah, we're losing 150 years here. And and as I and originally, you know, we're doing the Salem Witch Trials. You're thinking we're 70 years off. How are we gonna get to that? You need to hear the story of where these people came from because when you hear where they came from, what happens in 1692 makes a lot more sense. And so this group arrives at Salem, Massachusetts, this tiny town, and they are dealing with a lot of things. Disease was terrible. 200 people died the first year they got there. They sailed with a thousand. So you were already lost a fifth of your... I mean, imagine in your town, a fifth of everyone dies. Just what would happen to you? And you guys just came over from another country. You've got to be wondering, did I make a mistake? And by the way, one of those people was John Withrop's son. 80 people in this group did think they made a mistake. They went back to England. But that was just the beginning of things going wrong. In 1635, there was this massive, just gigantic storm. And we know now that it was probably a hurricane. In fact, the scientists have looked at it, and they think this was a Category 4 hurricane that just came through, no warning. They don't have satellites to tell them it's here. And, and, and by the way, Massachusetts doesn't get hit with a lot of hurricanes historically. But this one comes in just a few years after they land. And just devastates, smashes, destroys all the farms, all the crops, everything they're growing. Uh, during this time, there are battles with Native American tribes going on constantly. There are stories of shipwrecks as people are coming to the new land and they're not making it. Uh, things are not are not comfortable. They're not easy. And even though they have allies with the Native American tribes too, it's not all bad. But there's a lot of stuff that's really hard that we just don't. We think about, we don't, we take it for granted. Our lives aren't run the same way, and so we don't notice these things. And like Joel said in the beginning, there's this feeling that you're in the middle of nowhere. If you're in trouble, who are you going to call to for help? You're literally living on a shoreline, and no one has explored inside what's happening yet. You're just a few British settlements on a continent that no one even knows how big it is. Your maps have no clue how far and in what direction they go, really. You have built the bricks of civilization, but you did it with the deaths of your loved ones. I mean, this is an intense thing. And so you know what you're going to cling to during that time is God. And if you don't believe that God has a reason for you being there, you're going to want to give up. Yeah, yeah. So they left from Europe that has an incredible amount of rich history in Europe, right? They had Roman roads that they were walking on. They came from ancient lineages. These people could trace their lineage back centuries and they're leaving it all to start from scratch knowing full well it could be the end of that bloodline it could be the end of everything these are the parents and grandparents of the people of salem during the salem witch trials they come and occupy it in the 1620s and 1630s salem witch trials happens in 1692 and 1693 so these people that were the original founders that originally came to Salem, they're still around during the Salem Witch Trials. This is not that far removed. This is them in that same era, that same generation. So it's their kids and grandchildren that are being accused of being witches and being executed. And at this time of settling, they had no idea what was coming down the road. They had no idea that 70 years later, this hysteria would break out in this town. They were people that were focused on their faith. They were focused on clinging to their faith 
as their source of hope, but also being aware of the adversary that might be trying to stop this from happening, that might be able to stop the development and rise of a Christian settlement, of a Christian nation. And as time goes on, this plays into their hostility. Is hostility a good word, Troy? I think hostility would work. Towards, I think it could work. Towards witchcraft, towards yeah. the, the, you know, adversarying supernatural things that they can't explain, right? Yep. They're, they're on the lookout. They're on they're, the guard. They're scared, and they think the devil's out to get them, and they've been through a whole lot. And so, in all honesty, you know, they cling into God during these hard times, and sure. they feel like if anything that bad is happening, it's got to be coming from the devil. This was not uncommon. In fact, Salem witch trials were actually one of the last witch trials to happen kind of in history. But in Europe, witch trials have been going on for, for hundreds of years. You know, there was 22, 23 people that were executed at Salem, over 200 that were accused of being witched. In Europe, in the previous couple hundred years, there were over 50,000 people that were executed for being witches. And these trials often involved, you know, a lot more people, a lot more accusers. So people being accused of witchcraft and dying, uh, of being executed for witchcraft was not an uncommon thing. And in fact, it was kind of being phased out by this point in history, which is kind of what made Salem so interesting is because it happened late on in this way of thinking. And it also happened in the new world. It happened in America, which makes it stick out a bit. But it's honestly very likely that the Salem witch trials never would have happened if it wasn't for a specific event that happened in another town 22 years earlier. Before, Joel, we, we jump into that part of the story, and I do want to, uh, and, th- and th- this part that we're about to talk about is super important, and, and honestly, it, it's a little creepy, if I'm honest, too, but uh, Matthew 8, 28 through 34, I think you need to hear this, because I think it's so easy to get into the science and the history, and to forget the spiritual, and to just dismiss everything going on, but listen to this account from our, from our Bible and just kind of keep that in the back of your head with everything you're listening to. And remember that the Puritans 100% saw this stuff going on and thought that this is exactly what was happening. When he came to the other side into the country, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way, and they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away and went into the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. It's important to me that we keep in mind that demons and witchcraft and this stuff, I mean, there, there's precedent for it, okay? We shouldn't just dismiss it. It's something that the Lord interacted with, and so we need to at least keep that in the back of our heads while we look at it. So 22 years earlier, in 1671, we have the possession of Elizabeth Knapp. And so we've moved on from the founding, Salem is getting going, and this thing kind of happens that is is terrifying to read about now. But I try to remind myself, if I was picking up the newspaper and reading it then, that would just be terrifying. I mean, it would just be something that would scare you. 
when I first started the story, I with the story of all the Salem witch trials, I was really only interested in the history of this thing. I didn't really see all these darker narratives coming into play, and I don't know why. I just assumed the witch trials would be, yeah, it'd be nobody deals with witches, right? It's a dark story, and we're going to tell it to you, but you need to, you need to keep that in mind, all this stuff going on. A 16-year-old girl, she just starts to shriek very loudly, and no one knows why. She would sometimes giggle excessively, and she would just be inappropriately giggly. At times, you would never giggle. And, and then she's sobbing. She's just absolutely hysterically sobbing. And she's getting worse by the day. She had never had a, any kind of past history with this. She had always been completely normal. But over a cold winter, she just started to do all these things, and no one knew what was going on. One day, her parents hear her scream, there's men in the cellar, there's men in the cellar. And when they go down there to see what's going on, she's just talking to a crate and having a conversation with a crate. There's no one there. Another instance, she's rolling around, rolling around on the floor, screaming, and suddenly she rolls her eyes back and just rolls her body as hard and fast as she can into the fireplace. And the parents have to hold her down for hours before she passes out from exhaustion. The parents are terrified. They knew stories of witches, and they also knew what happened to people who were called witches, and it didn't go well for them. Yet they have this daughter who's literally like contorting her body, twisting her limbs, flings her head back, rolls her eyes, and and this is their, this is what every account says. I'm not making this up. The creepiest part of it all is they say it sounds like she speaks in the voice that is not her own. And during these episodes, she would just scream things like money, 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 sin, misery. Yeah, and so they reached out to a man named Reverend Willard, and and keep that name in in mind, Willard. He is, in my opinion, the most fascinating character and the most fascinating purpose of this whole story, of this whole era, right? Willard, from all accounts, he seemed like a very serious man. Uh, He comes from a military family, so he has a kind of a stern military approach to many things. He was known for taking a lot of notes, so he he took vigorous notes on everything, which is great for us because everything is very well documented, and he would also send these notes out to the heads of different churches around Boston and in that area. He took a specific interest in trying to figure out what was going on with Elizabeth Knapp, and he would document this whole process along the way. This wasn't like a disinterested reverend checking in on a random congregant. Elizabeth Knapp actually was working at his house at the time as a servant. So, I mean, he had a really vested interest in this whole thing working out for her because he obviously had nothing personal against her. He goes to her home and uh, she said that her neighbor had come to her house a few nights ago through the chimney, cast a spell on her. And that's what caused the madness. Now, Reverend Willard outright said, no, I I don't think so. And in his notes, he refused to put the neighbor down. And he said, I know this neighbor. I know that this is just not true. Him doing this like the way he did, him basically saying, no, it's not the neighbor, uh, Elizabeth, it's you. If the Salem witch trials had gone that way, I don't think we'd be talking about them today. The old way of doing things in Europe and the way that the Salem witch trials would do it is whoever the accuser called a witch, that's got to be who the witch is. But Willard, he ignores that completely. He says, no, the person who's acting erratic, that's who we need to figure out what's going on. And so she claims, well, the devil has been tempting me and he promised me pleasure. He, he told me he would do all these things for me, but I had to do evil things for him. And he's been asking me to kill people. 
he, from children to you, the minister to others, he's been telling me to do things. And she started to throw herself into fits every time he'd come around. And these things, would, you got to understand, these things aren't just her playing them up for like 20 minutes. One of these fits was recorded to last 48 hours. He wondered if she was faking it. Like the Reverend wanted to know, is, it, is she faking this? But it felt impossible just based on the amount of muscle strength alone it would take to do this. And the final account, how this story wraps up, and he wrote it all down and it ends up getting published. And that's a big, big deal to this. But his final account goes like this. Her friends have started to subside. He had been working with her, counseling her, praying with her, and it was getting closer to Christmas. Her mother felt like she had kind of healed up enough that she could go on a, t- a walk around town in the snow. Maybe it would help her get some fresh air. So she goes to Reverend Willard's house and she's chatting with the Reverend when this final thing occurs and there are other people around the Reverend when it happens. She suddenly stands on her tiptoes. She rolls her eyes back and everyone says she spoke in an otherworldly voice without moving her mouth and she called the minister, you evil rogue. And the minister and those with him just prayed God release the devil from this person. And the voice laughed, said that it was not the devil at all, that it had just taken a pretty girl and the voice disappeared appeared. And that was the last time anything happened with Elizabeth Knapp. We actually see her later on show up in marriage records. She shows up throughout uh, the public documents, but she's considered completely just normal. Completely yeah. normal. There's nothing else in her life. And even when the Salem witch trials are happening, she's she doesn't come in and do anything. It's just, that's the end of the whole thing. And yeah. that's what's crazy to me, is that's just how it ends. Yeah, by all accounts, she went on to live a completely normal life. And I mean, that that raises the question, what what was it? What happened? Right. And so and this was something that Reverend Willard was perplexed by. You know, he was he was a a thinker. You know, he wasn't blindly believing anything. He put a lot of thought into this. And for a long time, like he was trying to prove that she was faking because, you know, he was suspicious. He examined several different things that could be going on with her. Was it medical? Right. Some in retrospect have suggested it might be Huntington's disease, but uh, people that have that typically do not recover completely instantly like yeah like we it's see not a, it's with, not a just cured disease right, at some point with nap you know it could have been some type of psychological break i mean maybe but again you still have this this perplexing end where it just goes away all of a sudden exactly. it's, just, it's over she's good now prayer. yeah and so even reverend willard was eventually convinced it wasn't fake just because of the sheer physical limits that this lady that this girl was being put through on her muscle she didn't think a a woman of that age or or really of any age could throw such strong fists i mean he would he would try to hold her down while she was throwing these tansom and describes otherworldly strengths like there's no way this tiny girl could physically be this strong and not just again for uh you know a, a, a five minute fight but we're talking days 48 hours of uncontrolled strength in fighting and he's saying that's that's not normal that's not (laughs) that's there's something supernatural going on here and his eventual conclusion was that there was you know some some type of demonic work at work here uh you know that was that was in play of some type 
Now, we don't want to, you know, have people think that this is just going to be an episode about demons the whole time, right? And we'll have a, a, a time later on where we're going to talk about our opinions on the thing and kind of what we think really happened there, uh, a, little, a little bit of fun of speculation. But whether you believe any of what we just told you or not, that's not that's not the point. That's not the point we're trying to make. The point we're trying to make is they believed it. It was, it was real to them. Revan Willard here is an important character for this event in history. I said earlier, he's probably my favorite character involved, and that's because Reverend Willard is still preaching. He's still around in 1692 when the Salem witch trials occur, and he would go to Salem, and he would actually try to discredit the court rulings that were happening there. He actually was an advocate against what Salem was doing during the witch trials, and and it's interesting coming from a man who said, hey, there, there's demonic activity happening here, to then come to Salem and go, you guys need to pump your brakes. What is happening here is not is not right, and let me tell you why, right? It, it actually really adds a lot of credibility right. to his first story. He wasn't just a guy who went around finding the supernatural and everything. When the biggest hysteria that, in a way, would ever hit the country in that direction, he would be out there saying, trust me, I've seen it before, this is not the same. And that's part of what makes the Elizabeth Knapp story so... It's just an interesting, important part of the story, I think. If this piqued your interest, hey, uh, consider being a Patreon. As little as $3 a month will get you access to not only our history deep dives that we'll do about every other month, you'll get behind-the-scenes episodes, you'll get an ad-free feed, you'll get a signed bookmark from Troy and I. Uh, give it a shot. It, you know, honestly, it really does help the show out. And we want to thank you for that. We can't do much, but we can provide you know a little bit of extra content here for the people that like to support us. Uh, so consider checking that out. There's a link down below uh, to become a Patreon. And that is just kind of the beginning of this story of the Salem Witch Trials. We have a lot of ground to cover still. There are some, I just, the things that you didn't probably hear about in history, and maybe you did, but just the interesting way it all weaves together. And this is where we're going to cut the show off for you. But if you are one of our Patreon people, you're going to hear the rest of that story. And I think you're going to be really fascinated in the direction that it all goes. This episode is brought to you by The In-Between Podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between. On The In-Between Podcast, you will hear how to raise children that change the world, ideas to keep the romance alive with your spouse, how to not hate your in-laws, ways to save money for your next vacation, and how to use the Enneagram in your relationships. Join us, Daniel and Christina M. as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. For more information, go to inbetween.org. That's imbetween.org.